You are listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Ali McCasland. Today, I am talking with Julie Lieber and Emily McPherson, Mental Health Policy Fellows at Healthy Minds Policy Initiative. Emily is researching methamphetamine overdose and harm reduction, and Julie has been focusing on programs of assertive community treatment. Together, they were also Zero Mental Health Symposium presenters at last year's event, New Horizons in Brain Science, during which they used Tulsa, Oklahoma as a case study. Their presentation explored treatment models and community partnerships that addressed rising rates of methamphetamine use. It also spoke to how harm reduction and contingency management show how pathways in the brain are being used and strengthened to reduce overdose deaths. I'm thrilled to have Julie and Emily on today, and I hope you find their conversation as valuable as I did. The mental health download starts now. And welcome, Julie and Emily. Thank you. Hi, Julie. You want to go first? Sure. My name is Julie Lieber, and I am currently a mental health policy fellow at Healthy Minds Policy Initiative. And I'm Emily McPherson. I'm also a mental health policy fellow at Healthy Minds Policy Initiative. Wonderful. And for the listeners out there who might not know what that is, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like being a fellow? Sure. So Healthy Minds, which is a policy and practice transformation organization located both in Tulsa and in Oklahoma City, the fellowship is a one to two year I'd say learning opportunity. Yes, thank you. Where each fellow has a designated project um, where for the course of the year, or in Julie, in my case, two years, we'll be doing um, research on this project and building out, depending on what the project is, creating a paper or a presentation. My project this past year has been focusing on methamphetamine overdose and harm reduction. And Julie's has been focusing on programs of assertive community treatment. Do they join up anywhere in your two-year fellowship or are they just running parallel to one another, your two projects? I would say mostly pretty parallel, except for when it comes to our Zero Symposium presentation, we were able to combine them together to really talk about how programs of a sort of community treatment are packed here in Oklahoma can use some of the tools that Emily has been researching to implement harm reduction practices. Sure. Emily, would you, would you like to talk a little bit about the project that you're involved in this two-year endeavor you have? Sure. So when I first started at Healthy Minds, I heard a lot of talk about the meth plan and I was like, what is that? And it turns out back in 2020, Healthy Minds convened a group of many partners across Tulsa, like behavioral health organizations and first responders and some other groups to address the rising methamphetamine overdose deaths and rising treatment admissions for methamphetamine use. It was put on pause in 2020 because of the pandemic, but shortly before I started at Healthy Minds, um, they restarted this group. And one of the objectives of the group is overdose prevention, which is my project. So I've been doing lots of research about methamphetamine use, the co-use of methamphetamine and opioids, um, harm reduction specific to methamphetamine and stimulant use, overdose prevention. And that has looked like a lot of things, whether that just be sharing information and data with other organizations who need it, 
um, or creating some methamphetamine-specific harm reduction education about how to use stimulants more safely, um, making sure as many organizations as we can have access to naloxone and are distributing it to people who need it. We created a zero overdose learning community for groups, um, the partners to convene um, together and talk about overdose prevention within their organizations and how they can approach it with a systematic approach. Fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about naloxone? I know I see the commercials for it on the news every morning, so I think probably a lot of people are becoming familiar with that word, but they may not know the specifics of it and how um, it really is only useful for opioids. And if I'm incorrect on that, please correct me on that. Absolutely. Um, Naloxone, which is also known by its brand name, Narcan, um, can reverse an opioid overdose um, by getting in the opioid receptors temporarily to restore breathing to the person experiencing the overdose while you wait for emergency services. Narcan is a nasal spray form. There are other forms as well, but Usually, if you order it or whenever it's available over the counter, that will be in the nasal spray form. The reason that I'm talking about it, even though it will not reverse a methamphetamine overdose, kind of two main reasons. Co-use of methamphetamine and opioids is very common. In Tulsa County in 2020, about one-third of meth-involved overdoses also involved an opioid Um Second reason is that sometimes fentanyl, which is a very powerful opioid, can be mixed in with someone's methamphetamine without their knowledge. And so they think they're just using meth and they actually have an opioid in their system as well. So you mentioned that co-use of methamphetamines and opioids is pretty common. That's I did not realize that. Can you say why that would be, what the draw is to use both at the same time? Yeah, there are actually many reasons. Um, some people kind of just like the way it feels, you know, to have a stimulant um, like methamphetamine in their system at the same time as a downer and opioid. Um, some people who have been using medic medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder who may have lost access to that treatment and are now experiencing withdrawals might use methamphetamine to cope with those withdrawals. Some people think, and this is incorrect, I want to be very clear, but some people do think that using methamphetamine and opioids at the same time cancels out overdose risk actually increases overdose risk. And there are many other reasons, but those are the main ones. So in the naloxone or the Narcan, that is available to, or that will be made available to the general public, right? You do not have to be a prescriber to get access to that, or you don't have to have a prescription to get access to that. Is that correct? Absolutely. And you can access it right now. If you live in Oklahoma, you can go to okimready.org, and that will give you a link to um, order both naloxone and fentanyl test strips, which um, is a method if you know somebody who is using a substance and they want to test it for fentanyl, those test strips is a way to check that. And then the FDA recently approved Narcan to be sold over the counter. That has not actually like hit the stores yet. They're still working on some rules for it, but that will be available soon. All right, so we were required at Mental Health Association, our staff was required to go through a Narcan training if we wanted to carry it to administer to people we'd seen on the streets, which makes a lot of sense, especially for our street outreach and our street medicine teams who are literally going out into encampments and under bridges and all of the places that people who are unhoused are living in. Will training be required for the general population to access this life-saving tool? 
I don't believe so. I know specifically when you get Narcan from the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health, there is on the website when you order, there is an opportunity to watch a training. Um, the box that you receive comes with instructions. And I would hope, but I don't know this for sure, that when you're able to order it over the counter, the box will come with instructions. I know that the box that I have does have instructions. Julie, can you talk a little bit about your project you've been working on? Yeah. So unlike Emily's, mine is a little more internal facing, more policy focused. So um, one thing that has really been a big question for healthy minds in general is what is out there for intensive services within the home and community. And one of the best known models is PACT, Programs of Assertive Community Treatment. So really trying to kind of understand what that looks like here in Oklahoma, how many teams we have, how many people we're serving, and what are the outcomes that we're looking at? So throughout my time here, I've been really working with the different certified community behavioral health centers here across the state to figure out what works for them if they have a PAC team. Not all of them do. I think only seven of the CCBHCs do. And then there's an additional one based out of OU Tulsa, known as OU Impact. But yeah, so really just looking at that and seeing how we could potentially use PAC teams to help fill this critical gap that we've seen in intensive community and home-based services here, or if there's a better alternative out there, really just looking at that. So can you, can you talk a little bit about more, what got you into this? What led you down this path and to Healthy Minds specifically? Uh, I love telling this. So I think for me, I've always had a really deep interest in mental health. And throughout college, I was always considering like, maybe I'll do clinical psychology or something like that. But then I came across this course that looked at uh, mental health in the criminal justice system. And during that course, really seeing all of these structural issues, um, that really impeded not only access, but quality of treatment for individuals. And during the same time, I was also experiencing my own mental health struggles, as many do throughout their time in college and just during that age. So I really felt my two worlds colliding. And so with that, I knew that I wanted to try and pursue mental health in more of I guess the policy macro sphere. And I wasn't really sure how to do that. So I ended up taking a year off and found that I could actually get this policy experience while still maintaining a specific focus on mental health by getting my master's in social work. So with that, getting experience through internships, and being able to not only have opportunities to get that policy experience, but also getting some on the ground experience where I did outreach work in the South side of Chicago for individuals experiencing homelessness and mental health issues or severe mental illness rather to see, I guess, the day-to-day impact that mental illness can have on individuals. 
Here's was really impactful. The close-up view to it. Like yeah, that. absolutely. So, and I think that's a really important part of kind of my view whenever I'm looking at research or policy is how are we looking at that on the individual level? Because I feel like often policy is really focused in that upper sphere um, and not really looking at how it can impact individuals on that um, level because implementation is often an issue with policy um, if it's not done correctly. So I'm not from Oklahoma. <laughs> and I think the main reason why I came here was to have the opportunity to work with Healthy Minds and to be a part of the work that they're doing in Oklahoma because of the impact that they've been able to have on policy and organizations across the state, having only been around since 2019, I believe. So just the fact that they're able to get all of this work done in such a short amount of time and being able to learn from that has been kind of why I came here. And yeah, Healthy Minds is, an, is a pretty impressive organization. The work yeah. that they do is really impressive and really impactful. Um, you mentioned in that criminal justice class, you noticed some structural issues. Can you expand mm -hmm. a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think stemming from deinstitutionalization, we really see how there hasn't been a ton of um, supports put in place for community mental health. So it's really fallen on jails and prisons and the criminal justice system to provide a lot of those mental health resources for individuals. And I think it's seen best through the criminal justice system, although I'm sure other systems also have been uh, fallen upon to um, kind of take up this gap, including hospitals, um, but how we're not really putting people in the right systems to provide them the best care that they can receive. And a lot of these structural issues, including just, I think, individuals who don't have the proper training are providing these resources or these treatments to individuals and not understanding the best treatment settings for folks, as well as funding is not super great for mental health within the criminal justice system, because that's not necessarily what it's meant for, and other structural issues like that. That makes perfect sense. Emily, you mentioned somewhere along the way that you used to be a journalist. How did you take this diversion over towards to uh, Healthy Minds and to the work that you're doing now? Yeah, so I actually have my master's degree in public administration, but I also worked for the student newspaper and I have worked for some other newspapers as well, mostly as a copy editor, sometimes as a reporter and a designer. But part of that really opened up my eyes to systemic challenges, kind of like what Julie is talking about, reading other reporter stories and seeing that I really feel like my worldview has been impacted by journalism. Um, when I graduated, I actually worked at the Oklahoma House of Representatives as a research analyst, and I enjoyed that a lot. I really liked doing the research and feeling like I was part of the public sector and really working with people who were making an impact. I became interested in psychology while I was working there and went back to school and got a degree in psychology heard about Healthy Minds, thought it was the perfect place to combine my interest in mental health with my love for policy and research, 
and here I am. Wonderful. You mentioned that the journalism path opened your eyes and it, it impacted your worldview. Do the skill sets that you utilize in journalism, do they translate over into the work you're doing now? Absolutely. Because my main role was copy editing, my skills as a writer have translated really well over here. But also being able to see all the different things, you know, as the copy editor, I was reading all the stories. I wasn't just reading news or just reading sports. I was reading everything. And seeing the wide variety of things that we were reporting on just gave me so much knowledge about so many different things and made me really curious. And I think that curiosity is part of what sparked my love of research, which ultimately led me here. Yeah, you would have to have a a curious nature, right, to engage in the research because it it dictates that almost, doesn't it? Yeah. And I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I and I don't want to set you up to recreate your presentation at our Zero Mental Health Symposium. But I would like for you to talk a little bit about your topic, just kind of a brief overview of that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So our presentation is really taking the work that Emily has done in the harm reduction sphere for methamphetamine use and applying that to the very specific population of folks that I've been focusing on, those who um, can be a part of a PAC team. So individuals who not only have severe mental illness, but are high utilizers of those other systems we've been talking about, the hospital and carceral systems. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that population having an increased risk of harm from substance use, looking at how we can potentially bring in some harm reduction tools and practices to help negate that. And part of what I've been working on is a type of training um, for folks interested in preventing overdose within their various roles in the community. And I think so many different organizations and people can benefit from this, including people who work on PACT teams, who work with people with severe mental illness, who may also be experiencing substance use disorder. I don't think anybody would argue that substance use definitely has an effect on the human brain. Can you talk a little bit about how what you do impacts um, the, the human brain? Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, it's not a secret that substance use can impact the brain. One thing is a evidence-based treatment for stimulant use disorder called contingency management. It works with the brain's reward pathways um, to kind of rewire the euphoria and feelings that a person is receiving from a stimulant to rewire that into having those feelings from receiving rewards for positive behavioral change, including lessening or eliminating their drug use. Um, I think contingency management is fascinating. It um, has been around or been studied since the the 50s or 60s, and it's been evidence-based for a long time, and people are just kind of starting to implement it and see its effects on the brain and how it really has an impact on people who are recovering from substance use. Fantastic. In fact, fascinating is exactly the word that I was thinking of as you were describing that, so... Thank you. Is there anything else that either of you would like for our listeners to know? And in addition to that, if you have a place that people can see your work or read about some of the stuff that you do, feel free to share any websites or 
contact information. Our website is healthymindspolicy.org where you can read all of our research. We have a data dashboard and you can learn a little bit more about our organization. And the website that I mentioned earlier um, where you can order naloxone and fentanyl test strips is okimready.org. And on our website, I know Emily has a paper talking about uh, zero overdose, and I have a paper on there looking at the impact of um, Medicaid-managed care, uh, which is coming soon to Oklahoma, and the impact that can have on PAC teams, and my final paper on PAC in Oklahoma. I look forward to reading both of those. Is there anything else you'd like for our listeners to know before I let you both go? can't think of anything. No? (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Julie Lieber and Emily McPherson. For more on the work they are involved in at Healthy Minds Policy Initiative, visit www.healthymindspolicy.org. Thank you for listening to the Mental Health Download.